Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. I'm thinking now I should have just rethought the whole thing and let Ben preach too. He would have enjoyed that, but... Uh... I promise when I get to the sermon here in a minute, uh, I realize it's 940, um, and so today I'm just going to try to transfer content information that I want you to dwell on and think about, and not necessarily worry too much about expounding. But there's a couple things I want to mention before. Did any of you get a rude surprise when you sat down? Oh, man. I did too the other day, but the chairs are here. We got a lot more in the sanctuary than normal, just trying to adjust to um, uh, the crowds that have been coming. But they tell me that they will soften up 20%. That's what makes them good is they have to break down a little bit, 20%, and then they're just perfect. So, hey, we got we to gotta hang with it for a little while until we uh, get to that 20% level. Also, Serve Sunday, um, I am so excited about what we have planned. I am so excited about what are the, the seeds that we've sown into our community, the fruit that's now starting to come out of it. And I'm going to share uh, some things later on uh, toward June and talking about the 5K but just how impactful our church is now becoming in this community. And uh, it is, it's just a blessing. So um, go, go to the website. There's, there's the, the tasks, the projects are uh, being more and more um, <clears throat> articulated out. But it's going to be a great day. And the cool thing is, is Crossroads, Napoleon, uh, we're good friends with them. And... Um, as they've listened to what we do and talked about it, I, I just sense that there was a desire to do something like this. And, and I'm just like, hey, why don't you just join us? We don't need to silo this up, right? And the more I've thought about it, wouldn't it be so cool five years from now if there's five to ten churches in this city that serve this city on a Sunday in such a remarkable way that the 8,000 residents of this of this city take notice in the county and says, what is going on with those people that are called Christians? Uh, that, that's the hope, the dream, the goal that I have uh, with Serve Sunday. So, as I approached this week, I was, my mind went back to my, our, our 10th anniversary trip. Anybody ever do a 10th anniversary trip, 20th anniversary trip? 25 anniversary trip, right, the marriage, and um, I was thinking back over that trip, seems like it's almost been 10 years ago, it's getting close, um, we got married when we were 13, so um, it's been, been a ride, been a journey, um, but uh, I remember planning everything out, I thought for the 10th, man, we, we went back to Cincinnati where we met. Uh, we visited the, the bench where we started talking and on campus. Uh, we went up to the, to the place where I proposed to her overlooking the city. Uh, it was a Catholic church that had a beautiful courtyard and then just a magnificent vision of the, the city. And 
We went there. We did a lot of things, right? It was one of those nostalgic trips celebrating 10 years. And then I remember as we moved closer to home, we stopped in Louisville. And um, uh, Louisville has uh, a lot of great things to do. And, and we stayed in the, the Galt House, I think, down by the river. It's just a great trip, right? And I remember coming across something I thought, man, this is going to be a capper to this trip. This is going to just, I mean, memory bank, 30 years, we're going to talk about this. Uh, there's paddle boats that sit on the Ohio River in Louisville that you can go on tours. You kind of know what I'm talking about. I think this one was called the Bell of Louisville. And I thought, man, this, this is cool. We got to do this because I was intrigued by the fact that they had a moonlight cruise so you got on the boat at 11 o'clock, or it took off from the dock at 11 o'clock at night, and went down the Ohio till like 1 in the morning. And um, that sounded fantastic, didn't it? Uh, big paddle boat, moonlight, water. Man, I just thought this is going to sew it up really well. So I put us down. I just, bam, we're in. We show up. You know, we're, I'm excited, we're excited, 10, 10.30, we get there early, you know, and we sit down, and we're the first ones there, and we're just, just looking forward to the, the couple hours on the moonlight cruise. And about 10.45, I started to notice the people coming in. I think, well, okay. Um, there was a couple things about them. It wasn't couples per se, which surprised me. It was more like three guys, four girls, groups, crowds. Okay, I guess friends like to do moonlight cruises too. It sounded weird to me. Or, you know, there was, or maybe, it, you know, there was, uh, there was uh, booze on this ship, so I thought maybe it's just a fun thing to, you know, drink it on a moonlight cruise. Um, but I also noticed something else. Um, they were wearing clothes that uh, they just, they weren't in style. It was so retro-y. And right before we took off, it hit me that I had signed us up for a moonlight cruise on disco night. <laughs> 70s disco night. Some of you know what 70s disco is, right? Don't get me wrong, it's fun music. But I'm going to be honest, like it was not what I was trying to do. And so I'm like, okay, we can get away from this. You know, the, they have tiers and decks, so we get to the top deck out. No. Speakers blaring for two hours, disco music, and everybody is dancing, and it was like this. My romantic moonlight cruise had turned into a midnight fight for sanity, right? The romantic moonlight cruise had turned into a midnight fight for sanity. If we were to be honest, I would say that some of us would have to admit that when we walked into getting married, the romantic moonlight cruise has oftentimes turned into a midnight fight for sanity. 
the family blueprint is what we're trying to spend some time with this month. And we're asking ourselves questions like, what is God's blueprint for the family? And what is my role in that blueprint? I've been very uh, in tune with this kind of thought progression this week because I believe it to be true from the Garden of Eden to now present day. I do believe that the design of God uh, with his people and his church, and why is my thing not working? Oh, great. Nice. Anyway, you just have to trust what I'm saying here. There's notes in the Bible app. They're all in there. But change marriage, change the church. Change the church, change the community. Change the community, change the culture. Marriage, church, community, culture. I really do believe at the heart of the way that this world is... uh, engaged for Christ, the primary vehicle of that are healthy, God-honoring, disciple-making, spirit-filled families. Amen? Woo! Come on, that's a, that's a softball. That's like a, that's a meat pitch. Amen? Like, you look at this even as we study different uh, societal things. Some of the biggest uh, regrets even now of experts is the decline of the nuclear family and what it has done to our society in so many ways. And subgroups in our culture that struggle, struggle primarily because the, the family has been completely disrupted. It's because at the core of how were we created was we live in groups, but they get smaller and smaller and smaller until it comes to the family. But it's out of the family where we spend most of our time and our energy that God wants to do something remarkable in our families so that we can be empowered and strengthened to then in turn go on mission into the world. The family, the family is at the core of God's purpose for your life and how he wants to work through you and so obviously at the core of the family is this relationship of marriage I would say this at its core marriage is really a discipleship issue now stick with me I'm going to say something to you that I'm not necessarily thrilled about but it is what God's word communicates I don't understand the ramifications of all of it, but it's very clear in Scripture that in heaven, we are not married. Some of you just said, praise the Lord. I saw you mouth it. Right? We all would agree that Jesus was clear in his teaching that in heaven, we are not married. If that disappoints you today, that's probably a good thing. It disappoints me. It, it like, what? Come on. Because I found, like, somebody really special, right? Don't get me wrong. I think we'll have a relationship through eternity, obviously. But we're not married. And so if marriage 
is not an eternal thing, shouldn't we see marriage as a way to help us realize the eternal things? Should we not make sure that marriage feeds and encourages and strengthens the eternal realities of who we are as people? Amen? Does that disappoint you you're not married in heaven? Be truthful. (laughs) It does. It it bothers me. I'm like, this is stupid. I just kind of like, I don't like that. But you know what I've learned a long time ago? That God is infinitely wiser than I am. And his goodness is always, it supersedes what I think is good. And so I, I, you know, we'll figure it out then. Uh, Obviously we will, and we will be blessed. But I think we need to understand that marriage is a temporary construct. And any temporary construct should be in place in our lives to help us make sure that we live into the eternal perspective and realities. It's like this, Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul takes time to talk about marriage uh, in, in kind of an in-depth way and explain some things. He finishes that passage in chapter 5, verse 31, and says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's the whole thing, two becoming one, right? It's, it's the greatest thing, and it's the hardest thing, amen? It's like the greatest re- re- rewards, but it's also like, whoa, how in the world does this happen? And wow, it's really changing my life. And woo, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of pressure and tension that comes if it's really happening. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. You see, marriage is actually a way that there is a taste, a taste of the eternal relationship God wants to have with us. Marriage is, I've put it this way, your marriage is a witness to the world of God's desire for relationship with us. You know, becoming one doesn't mean you cease to be a unique individual. It does mean you cease to be an independent individual. This is relational in nature. This is where God is always wanting to take us to understand as he is, relational God, Father, Son, and Spirit. He is pushing us out of our own self and continuing to create the relational impulses in our life. And primarily he does that by putting a man and a woman together and say, hey, you two become one. Don't lose your unique individualism, but not live independently now of one another. It's like this. One of the greatest things I observe in marriage as a pastor is when two people are together, but not unified how do two people become one I mean it's a road filled with massive miscommunications painful misunderstandings hurt feelings intense conversations and the only way to get there is absolute trust 
rich, meaningful, and intimate communication, playful interactions, and genuine and sincere affection. But why does it matter? Because your marriage is giving the world a taste, a taste of what God wants to do in their own heart and life. The mystery of Christ and his church is revealed through the mystery of two becoming one in our marriages. Your marriage is a witness to the world of God's desire for relationship with us. How do you feel about that? (laughs) If your marriage is on display today, how do you feel? Like, yeah, look at me and you'll see some Christ. Or is it like, uh, let's close that door. Right? That's the purpose here. And so today, I want to remind you of this. What does it look like to allow this unique relationship of man, woman, two becoming one, one plus one equaling one? How is it a blueprint for what God wants to do in our world and through our lives. I would tell you that I have learned that for whatever reason, my personality is guarded. Um, I struggle and have struggled with intimacy. Some of you are now like going somewhere you're not supposed to. It's not what I mean, but I just like I'm a guarded person. I don't just quickly jump into things. Um, that's why, like, we have this ongoing thing. If you notice, like, if you're my friend on social media, why are you my friend? I don't post anything. And I get very annoyed because my wife posts every other day. And, like, she's great at that stuff, and she's well-meaning, and she enjoys the social interactions, like, and I'm like, don't, please don't put that online. It's nobody's business. That's what I tell her all the time. Please don't, I don't even want to see it. Right? I'm just guarded. And I, I, uh, I, I just have learned about myself, thinking back even through my teenage years, just the way I'm wired, I, I struggle to open up to people. I know that sounds weird because I'm social by nature, but getting really intimate with somebody is uncomfortable for me. As I stood on a platform 19 years ago or 18 years ago and said I do I had no idea how much that was going to call me to learn what it means to be intimate with somebody else but as I've walked through these years of two becoming one I've realized that we all have a need for intimacy that actually our lives are whole and complete when we learn to live in intimate relationship with other people, primarily your spouse. And that actually marriage has opened me up, so to speak. And I have realized the joy of what it is to know and be known. It's amazing. Like some of you are like, you are nuts. Like to know about somebody and them to know about you and yet still love you, stick with you, 
support you, encourage you, strengthen you, love you regardless of flaws, of insecurities, of hang-ups, of baggage, of all these things, like these years of no and being known has unleashed a powerful force in my life. Like that has just, it's grounded me as a person. It's, 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 it's kept me um, sane. It's, it's grown me in my capacities for so many things. This power of intimacy, of knowing and being known, all the while being loved and committed to. And obviously a lot of times we say, well, God, then we incorporate everything in and I would say yes but it's actually these things God gives us that are teaches on who he is in a much greater way what I would tell you is that intimacy in marriage has actually opened me up for more intimacy with God himself that it's been this relationship of knowing and being known that's helped me realize and experience the beauty, the power of intimacy. I'm a dude right now. I know that I'm talking and guys, you're looking at me like, uh. but even us as wired as men are called to experience intimacy with God. And I believe that this one, two becoming one is a great teach in living into intimacy with God. But what's the blueprint here? If my marriage is a witness to the world about the fact that God loves the world and wants relationship with us, if the two becoming one is a picture of Christ and his church, and this week just looking through at the repeated references in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, of the characterization of Jesus as the bridegroom and the church as the bride. Like there is absolutely this, this symbolism, this understanding, and our world desperately needs to see loving, healthy, godly, spirit-filled, disciple-making marriages. They need to see that as a witness to what God can and wants to do in their own lives. I would say the purpose of your marriage primarily is to point Jesus to Christ. Have you ever thought about it that way? I know I didn't for the longest time. I looked at marriage as, woo! Like the desire for companionship, the desire for all these things. Like, and I thought, oh, thank God, thank you, God, for blessing me with this person, and they complete me. And which is anyway, um, you, you know what I mean? Like, like, and it's it's like it's like. Justin was talking about last week, like, this is like the default thing that we look for. Like, if you get there, then you're like, and all those things might be true in some level, but honestly, at the end of the day, if marriage is temporary, not eternal, then it has a role in helping me understand the eternal and live the eternal, then it is doing all these things in my life primarily to help me and my spouse together be a bright, vibrant witness to the world of God's love for the world. Are you with me? Okay. So I'm not even going to try to preach all my message, so just relax. And this is providential today. I'm okay with that. 
But this week I could not get away from, I looked through all of the sermons I've preached on family and marriage since I've been here. Like I have it all, you know. And it's just, you know, Lord, what have I talked about? What do we need to talk about? And there's only so many things you can say, right? Sometimes like Christmas, just keep coming back to the same things. And I keep getting drawn back to one of the first things I talked about. It's not even my stuff. Um, it's, it's, but it's good stuff. It's stuff I think about. And I thought, well, what's wrong five years later with sharing some of the same stuff? Like, if it's good stuff, that's what good coaches do, right? They don't teach you some new thing every day. They reaffirm the foundational things, right? And so just reminding you of, okay, so the blueprint is that my marriage is a witness to the world of God's desire for relationship with us, that it's a picture of Christ and his church, and I need to see marriage as temporary, pointing to the eternal, Thank God for the blessing that comes. Don't get me wrong, man. I'm, I'm loving it. That's why I'm disappointed it's not eternal. But I got to keep it in perspective. And I can't miss, which I've seen all the time, people living for marriage while neglecting the purpose of marriage and the God who gives marriage and ending up empty because it's, they, they've mispurposed what marriage is supposed to be. And I just thought back to those five things that I've, I've used before here. That it's kind of a, hey, how do you have a healthy marriage? Seek God, fight fair, have fun. He says stay pure. I say keep integrity. And don't, never give up. I like things like that. I like things I can take away and think about. Okay, so the mixture, the ingredients in a good marriage to bake that cake. Seek God. Fight fair, have fun, keep integrity, never give up. Is that something you can go with? Yeah. Instead of long sentences, five long sentences that like halfway through you're like, oh, sounds good, I agree, I'll never remember it. Like for marriage, I, I need these little things that keep with me, have fun, or not have fun, seek God, fight fair, have fun, keep integrity, never give up. And I simply want to remind you of probably I only have time for the first one and that's fine. Seek God. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 says that in all of our life that we are called to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first means seek first. And all things, is that marriage involved in that? So seeking first God should be a primary purpose in my marriage. And here's what I want to simply just leave with you about seeking God, I'm just going to read to you that the scripture, the, the scripture blueprint is God is always your one and your spouse is your two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. It doesn't say love your spouse with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. It says love God 
with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. The point is, you and I should always be seeking the one with my two. Your two is your wife. Here's the, here's the problem or your husband. When we get this out of whack and we idolize our spouse, we begin to bring in undue pressure into a relationship to a person that is incapable of meeting all of our needs. I see this happen all the time. When we first meet somebody and we, we, we see all the good things about them. They're organized. They're driven. They're all these things, right? They're, 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 uh, they're, they're so, such a good personality, right? You, you, you see this in dating. Like, but if you allow that person to become your one and you get out of whack, you put on them so much pressure that what happens so often is that person that was so organized and driven, <laughs> words begin to change like they're just a control freak. Or they're so laid back, easy going. He's not a leader. Right? I mean, and so often it's because we make that person the pinnacle of what we idolize. And in marriage, the primary purpose is together to seek God together. And I, you know, all those things make sense. Be in the word together. Worship together. Find a small group together. Use your gifts together. Serve together. There's all sorts of things that can help you together seek the Lord together. I just want to remind you of one today. You see, we all have keystone habits. Keystone habits are foundational behaviors that you can build on to create a cluster of good habits. And I want to remind you today that if the primary purpose of your temporary marriage and as an eternal being is to witness to the world the goodness of God and his desire for relationship with us, if that's the primary purpose of your marriage... It's to glorify God, to bring, to bring light to the gospel. And that if in that happening of the two becoming one, one plus one is one, and this whole crazy relationship and how amazing it is, but also how challenging it can be, how remarkable it is, if it's just a taste of Christ and his church, then our marriages primarily should be cornerstoned around, keystoned around habits that push us to seek God. And I can't think of any other thing to remind you of as a marriage that you must, as a keystone habit, simply do one thing always, and that is pray together. Do you pray together? If a keystone habit is a foundational behavior that then causes, a, it creates a cluster of other good habits. There is no better keystone habit than to pray together every day. Okay, I, this is not on my notes. But the way this world works, the nature of how we, and like, I think the thing that our, the enemy of our soul fights us on the most is to keep us prayerless. 
He wants us to be prayerless. He wants us to be anemic in prayer. That when I look at you today and tell you these words, it's been a great reminder that Nicole and I have not been practicing this as well as we should lately. So when I'm telling you to pray together, I'm not standing up here saying, what's wrong with you people? I'm saying we need to remember this. That if our primary purpose in marriage is to witness to the world the goodness of God and how we accomplish that together, it starts with keystone habits and it's got to be prayer. Are you praying together? Amen? Some of you are just like, I can't believe the pastor doesn't pray with his wife every day. I'm just trying to be transparent. Where are we at? What's real? I remember sitting on that mountain in Colorado that Saturday night. And us just interceding to God. It's one of the most powerful moments of my life. Just starting to pray and all of a sudden it just spilling out of me. And her, she praying and just this presence of God so close to us. And just knowing what John said, that there is no one that can pluck you out of my hands. You're my children. I've got you. You don't need to stress or worry. You don't need to carry. You're worrying about being a parent. You're worrying about your role in life. You need to, you need to understand that you're my children. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to strengthen you. If you'll just lean on me and trust in me. Now, I mean, that Saturday night, I hate to sound like this, but it has stuck with me from last July to this day. It helped change something deep inside of me. It didn't change my life, but, but like it did something so deep in me. I just am not stressing out about life near as much anymore. I just used to go like zero to a hundred when something came up. I'm finding myself just being chill like I'm supposed to be. Don't get me wrong. There's still like, you, you get it. But like something deep within me, and I attribute it to some of that was that night on that mountain when together in prayer, the presence of God was so close to us, and I realized, hey, it's going to be okay. God has us. God's going to take care of us. He's going to lead us. He's going to strengthen us and give us wisdom. Praying together. We've done that through our marriage at different times. It Pray together. Pray together. Pray together every day. It's really hard to fight with somebody who you're praying with. It keeps you humble. Prayer is a humbling thing. It's supposed to be. Keeps you informed about their own worries and struggles and hang-ups. Creates intimacy. Remember James says, confess your faults one to another. Pray for each other that you might be healed. Where in the world should that not be practiced more than in marriage? Confess your faults one to another. Pray for each other. Find 
that place. I can promise you for Nicole and I, it is not at eight o'clock in the morning. Amen? I don't even know what I'm saying or doing. We're rushing out the door with kids. For us, that sweet spot is in the evening. Whatever your sweet spot, some of you like to get up at five in the morning and get up and sit and drink coffee for 45 minutes. And I'm like, why didn't you get 45 minutes more sleep? I know Ben and Kristen, it's the morning. Pray together. It's the cornerstone habit that creates a cluster of so many other good habits. The blueprint is that your temporary marriage should point to an eternal truth. God loves us, God cares. God desires to be in relationship. This is what God can do in our life. He can create deep intimacy. It's relationship. And your marriage is on the stand witnessing to the world. Is this true or is it not? Is it something that people want or is it something, eh, no thanks. Father, help us as we wrestle with family things. Lord, our point in this series is to maybe introduce some thoughts beyond just, you know, good marriage advice. Those, there's times for those. That's, that's reasonable, and we all need that. But maybe to, to take us back to just even the why and how we think about. So often we just default to the world's understandings of marriage and family and, and parenting. Lord, you say for, for this cause, a man shall leave his mother and father and cling to his wife, and they shall become one. And I speak to you a profound mystery. This is a picture of Christ and his church. So even our marriages are pointing to the eternal reality of Jesus being in relationship with his bride, the church. So Lord, help us to think or rethink our marriages. Lord, we can do that by making sure at the center of what we practice together, what we share together is prayer every day, every day. Lord, help this to be our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ten sixteen. you know it's Ben's fault today. Have a great week. Love you guys. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.